All right, Dave, I got a question for you. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Let's say that you are Heimblum for a day. What is the deal you give to both Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers? What is the offer you extend to them? Well, let's start with Xander. Xander just turned 30, so I'm a little hesitant to go too far. I'd rather give up more money for the average annual value than give more years. So what do you think, like 4 120 I was thinking maybe five for five for like one forty, maybe. So like a hair around thirty. I don't know. Okay, it's. I think we're, it's we're in the same. We're in the same ballpark. I think. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to balance giving him the, the years and the contract value he deserves. Like thirty is probably still a little under what he deserves, but you're also, you know. You're trying to right. also keep in mind that a 30-year-old shortstop who's struggled defensively coming up for a while, getting older, and he's bigger than, mo- than most shortstops, going into his late 30s at the end of his contract, right. his power has been hit and miss. Like, there's right. there's a lot of things you're playing with here. So, But then you run into the problem that what if, you know, Correa and Trey Turner sign before him for bigger money? Then you're, then you're even more priced out. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, I think my guess is with, Bo- with Boris as his agent, he's going to want seven or eight years, right. and he's going to want $240 so, million. Before we go to predictions, Rafael Devers, what do you offer him? To me, he's like an eight for 240 guy. Maybe more. Probably eight, like eight for 270 or something like that. He's probably going to want 10 with an opt-out, if right. I had to guess. After, and, what, three or four years? I would think he just turned 25 this year, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. So he's definitely going to want 10 to 12 years because you're going to want to try to maximize your years. And then the opt-outs would be after maybe like three and five. So you get out at 28 or 30. That would yeah. give you another 10-year contract, potentially at 28 or eight years at 30. So, I, I mean, I think maybe eight years – and 240 million would probably get it done. Yeah. I think you've missed the window to be able to do it for 28 to 30 by right. watching this year go by. Yeah. So my prediction um as much as I would love to see them both come back, I don't think Bogarts is coming back. I think if they I think they ultimately do keep Devers but I don't think Bogarts is coming back, which is an absolute shame that they couldn't get anything for him and they're just letting him walk for free, but I don't think he's coming back. I think the biggest issue with just overall the situation they're in is to keep Bogarts, you're probably going to have to overpay for him now. Right. As opposed to if you had extended him for the money he earned and not treated him like an asshole by offering a one-year $20 million extension after he did you a favor last time. That's right. that's that right there is the epitome of why players don't take hometown discounts because teams don't return the favor. And honestly, probably neither side should give hometown discounts because yeah. it's a it's a business. But I think they're in a tough situation because you're sitting there with Bogarts as a guy that needs a contract and you know he's a fan favorite. 
And if they don't get him, there's going to be more pressure to keep Devers, which more, makes him more likely to overpay for Devers. Right. Like this could send a this could set a chain reaction that, not to be extremely negative, but that could like really hamstring you down the line, especially with the way we've seen them kind of spend money over the last two years, signing James Paxton and <laughs> kind of like treating it like a Walmart, where it's like you're all right. Well, let me go get this guy, and maybe he'll do something, and we'll sign seven minor league free agents, and maybe one of them will hit, and like. You got lucky with Schreiber, like that was a good pickup. But I don't know. It, it just to me feels like you, you know, you waste some money on Deekman and all this money that you spend on some of these guys. Like, sure, Deekman makes four million, and you know, bringing back Brazier through arbitration or whatever, renewing his contract only costs a million. But it's like those eventually add up. And would you rather? It's the old adage, like, like if the Bruins let Pasternak go, right, and he's scoring forty goals a year. Theoretically, you're like, well, I'm not going to sign him to 10 million because we can get two guys that score 25 goals each for four and a half million a year and save a million dollars. Well, theoretically, but like, you know, consistency with the top of the market people, you don't know that at the people below that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see how this offseason goes. But for now, we're doing a little requiem on the not just the past season, of the Red Sox, but the past I guess 23 seasons of the Red Sox because we're going to rank our top five least favorite and top five favorite seasons of our lifetime since 2000, I guess. But really since we've been able to retain watching a a baseball season for the Red Sox. Uh, Dave and I ranked every season since 2000 and we're going to give the top five worst and the top five best. Dave, what do you want to start with? The top five best, the top five worst? That's a good question. Um, let's start. Let's start with the best. Let's start in a good mood. I was. I was going to agree. I think we should start with the best. All right. So Dave, number five on our list with thirty-eight points. This just beat out the twenty twenty-one season actually by two points. The two thousand eight Boston Red Sox, uh, as you noted here, finished ninety-five and sixty-seven. They were second in the American League East, and they lost the ALCS to the Tampa Bay Rays in seven games. Dave, who was the home run leader on the Red Sox this year? Um, was that Euclid? It was. Euclid, 29 homers, 115 RBIs, 312 batting average, 958 OPS. Great year for Euclid. Um... He finished second to Bedroya in the MVP voting that year. So, uh, who hit 326 of his own, 20 stolen bases, 17 dingers, 213 hits, really good year for PD. Uh, Dave, what stands out to this about this year for you? The best non-World Series winning team of our lifetime. No sp- spoilers ahead, but the best non-World Series winning team of our lifetime. I, I just think that this team was really solid overall with kind of the depth of the lineup they have a future manager here too Cora was a backup shortstop for this team mm-hmm. played in 75 games but I mean I think you have the dominance of Ortiz who actually had a pretty down year by his standards true 264 23 homers but yeah. I mean the Euclid year is just I mean he should have been MVP over Pedroia if it's between those two I mean the his numbers are ridiculous, but hey, one forty four OPS plus as opposed to one twenty three for Bedroya. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I mean, 
realistically, the, the numbers that pop over for Pedroia are like the 326 average, 213 hits, runs, 54 213 doubles. hits. Yeah. Like, it's hard to get 200 hits. But well, yeah. It's like, also easier, had... easier to score 118 runs when you have Euclid driving you in 115 times. That's true. You have Euclid, Ortiz, and Manny behind you. Exactly. Like, that's... I mean, to think that this offense kind of was near the top of the league despite only getting... 43 homers and like a 270 batting average combined from Manny and Ortiz. That's kind of wild. Right. Exactly. Like you're expecting double that production. Yeah. And I mean, Manny, even like you said, like for his standards down here, hit pretty much 300 at an OPS over 900, but still just 20 homers and 68 RBIs. 68 RBIs for Manny. That's a, in 100 games. So I get it. But like even adjusted, still not excellent. But. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's – and also the other weird one was, was this the year Jason Bay got hurt? It must have been because 09 because was the year he was traded. Sure. And then Ellsbury, who isn't even listed as a starter this year, 145 games, 50 stolen bases, 22 doubles, 155 hits. Really good year for him. Only an 88 OPS plus, 729 OPS, but he wasn't much of a slugger and not a terrific on-base guy in this year, so – um, but you're right. Solid team. And to me, I still think they would have won the World Series if they got there. But they just couldn't beat Tampa in Game 7. Yeah, that was the David Price closeout, right? Yeah. And yeah, who, was, who, was was... The, who was the ALCS MVP, Dave? Uh, ALCS MVP. Was it Upton? Matt Garza. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, he dominated them. He was he was good. So, oh wait, Red Sox number five. Dave, number four on this list with 40 points. They were number four for you, number four for me, the 2007 World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. Dave, who was the home run leader on the 2007 Boston Red Sox? Um, Manny? It was Poppy. 35 home runs. <laughs> I was between the two. No one was even close, actually. Lowell and Manny had 21 and 20, respectively, and they weren't even close. Uh, Yeah, Poppy hit 332 that year. <laughs> yeah, that was not a down year for David Ortiz. <laughs> 1066 OPS, not, too. That's not, that's not bad. It's not great. Uh. Of the World Series champions on that team, Dave, you have Eric Hinsky, Royce Clayton, <laughs> Bobby Keelty, Kevin Cash, Brandon Moss, David Murphy. Uh, although I'm not sure oh, if those this guys... Was, this was the Eric Gos- Ga- uh, Gagne trade year, too. It was. Eric Hinsky, as I mentioned earlier, also. Um, Dice K, Brendan Donnelly, Deverne Hansack. <laughs> Kaysen Gabbard is the guy that would trade for him. Legendary stuff. Legendary stuff. Um, so the 07 year to me, they were 96 and 66, um, which isn't particularly an out, you know, an all time great record, but I don't know about you, Dave, but to me of the four world series champion years of our lifetime, this might've been until a later one to this point, the most dominant wire to wire Red Sox team we had seen. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we hadn't really been competing as much. <laughs> right. I mean, um, 
You had the the ALDS against the Angels, they swept them. The ALCS against Cleveland, they were down 3-1, to one, and they had to come back and win that series in seven games. And the most unlikely of heroes was J.D. Drew in that series. Yeah, the Grand Slam. He did. And then they, and the Rockies, who were the hottest team in baseball, they swept them without really much of a competition. I think that that was one scenario, too, was the, the layoff time between the two series for them. Right. Cooled them off a little bit. And I still, you know, I still think eventually, like, people can say whatever they want, but teams like the whole getting hot thing is, like, eventually teams revert to the mean. Like, they're not going to just keep winning at that kind of level. And they were they were just kind of destroying everyone. They played, I think, the Phillies in one of the rounds, and they played, I think, might have been Philadelphia. In the sec- I mean, um, might have been L.A., the Dodgers, maybe? But uh, It was Arizona was the second round. Arizona. Okay. They, yeah. they I know they swept the Phillies. They swept the Philly, round. and they swept Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they were definitely on a roll. And, I mean, you have to wonder what the time off did for them. But, yeah. Uh, it was certainly, certainly an interesting, interesting year. Uh, yeah. Dave, who were the three pitchers that won 15 games that year for the Red Sox? All right. Let's see. You have Dice Guy. Yep. Um, you have Beckett. Yes. And you have I'm trying to think of who the third Lester? No, he didn't. No, nope. he didn't win. What did he win? Like nine games? He was he was he was four and zero that year. Four five seven ERA. He was young, twenty three. Yeah, that was his first year back from cancer, I believe. Right? I believe so. Um, oh man, who was the other one? Was no, Lo- I love John well. Lester. Love John Lester. Another guy they, they completely under out. they completely sold him short. Yeah, low volume so bad. Yeah. Uh, um, and the third one is who am I missing? Is this like an obvious one? Sort of. Ah, damn it. Um, he went seventeen and twelve that year. Seventeen and twelve. Derek Lowe was gone at this time, so it's not Derek Lowe. And it's not... I don't know. Tim Wayfield. Oh, man. Why didn't I guess him? 29 decisions at age 40. Pretty good. He got better with age. But also he had a 4.76 ERA, so that's not great. <laughs> All right. He got better with age, though. All right, Dave. Number three. 42 points. It was number three for you. Number three for me. The dominant, inimitable, incredible 2018 Boston Red Sox. 108 wins and 54 losses. Beat the Yankees 3-1 in the ALDS. Beat the Astros 4-1 in the ALCS. And beat the Dodgers. Should have been a sweep if it wasn't for Ian Kinsler. But beat the Dodgers 4-1 in the A in the World Series. Dave, who was the home run leader that year on the Red Sox? Uh, Mookie Betts. That is incorrect. Mookie Betts had 32 home runs. It was J.D. Martinez. Damn it. 43 home runs, 130 RBIs. That's really What happened to that guy? Uh, Some favorites from that season. Steve Pierce, obviously, World Series MVP. Brock Holt, hopeful future color commentator on the Red Sox broadcast. 
uh, Christian Vasquez, Blake Swihart, Hanley Ramirez, Zhu Wei Lin, <laughs> Sam Travis, <laughs> uh, Brandon Phillips, number zero. Uh, of course, Ian Kinsler, who doesn't deserve any recognition. Um, ben Intendi, who made maybe the best catch of their entire postseason run, or maybe the entire year, honestly. Um, Eduardo Nunez, who had a couple of big hits there. Um, and active Hall of Famer Sandy Leone. So, Dave, I think I think the reason 2018 stands out so much is it was such a fun year. They were they they made and Alex Cora especially made every decision correctly. I mean, it, it every button he pushed was right in the regular season and especially in the postseason. Every single call he made was the right one, and you had Jackie Bradley Jr. win ALCS MVP. It just, it was a team of destiny, and it was that way pretty much from the beginning. They were so much fun to watch that year. I I loved this team. They also did a really good job taking care of business. Yeah. Like, they were 31-7 and seven versus Baltimore and Toronto that year combined. I mean, that's, that's where you get those margins, and you start to get the 50 games over 500 stuff. Like, if, if you're able to do that against teams you should be, that's the kind of stuff that leads to those kind of eye-popping numbers. Yeah. And you have... It's really kind of interesting because at the very very end of the year, you kind of saw a complete tail-off by Craig Kimbrell. And it was really strange because he had been really good all year. And then all of a sudden, like, he had a lot of trouble the last few last little bit of the season. And they started running out starters at the end of the game, like Evaldi, David, I mean, David Price, Chris Sale. You started seeing guys come out to the bullpen, like, all right, we can't rely on Craig anymore. We got to start finding other options. And Chris Sale was an absolute madman in this year. And even with Kimbrell tailing off, 42 saves and a 274 ERA. Overall, really good. But you're all right. He definitely tailed off considerably by the end of the year um who was the wins leader on this team um the wins leader on this team was it's got to be rick porcella right he just was wins he was 17 and 7 yep yeah despite shitty games and david price was 16 and 7 just behind him um what was price's era was like four three five eight Three five eight, okay. But honestly, one of the greatest things also from this year was Nate Evaldi. Picked up at the deadline for Jalen Beeks from the Rays and had one of the most memorable World Series performances of our lifetime. Not even just the Red Sox. But coming in and pitching, what was it, five innings in relief in that marathon game? Just true. unbelievable. I mean, the grit that he showed. And, it, I mean... He'll you know he'll never be a Red Sox Hall of Famer, but you know for what we saw from Nate Evaldi, way beyond what we ever could have expected him to produce here in Boston. Incredible! I I, I lo- if this is the last time I ever saw him pitch for the Red Sox the other day, I, I'm forever grateful for what he brought to this organization. They locked out big time. Yeah. Big big pickup for them. Eduardo Rodriguez this year thirteen and five, pretty good stuff. He's, he had been very good, and he is another one that kind of tailed off and was super inconsistent throughout his career. Mm. 
and and another one too was uh Stephen Wright was really big for them. He was. What? Even though he's a you know not not a great not, not, not a super great guy. Not at all. Yeah. Um Drew Pomerantz. Which, Drew Pomerantz. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, do you remember the story about like when they were really bad? I think it was was it twenty nineteen, I think it was. Yeah. Um or twenty twenty. They were trying to get Stephen Wright back and he was like starting to feel good and he's warming up in Miami. He got hit with a foul ball. Oh my god, dude. It's just, and he got a concussion, like he couldn't pitch. Like, like he's almost back. <laughs> that's just and he gets this yeah. fluke injury. Like, what the hell? You know who also was like surprisingly good that year, which is like incredible how far times have come. Ryan Brazier. Ryan Brazier. He had a one six zero ERA in thirty four appearances that year. Like, he was really good early. And, like, I liked him a lot. And then he just turned back into a pumpkin, like, immediately. <laughs> yeah, I was... They're still trying to convince us that he's a major league reliever. I'm not buying it. But... No, he should not be on the team next year. Um, So, yeah, the 2018 Boston Red Sox, number three. Dave, we have a tie for number one. I had number one. Your number one was my number two. My number one was your number two. So, they're tied for number one. There was no tiebreaker involved here. So, they're both number one. Uh, we'll start with your number one, my number two, the 2004 Boston Red Sox, the team that broke the 86-year curse. Dave, who was the home run leader for that team? That had to be Manning. It was. 43 home runs. David Ortiz had 41, though. Um, But the more important question, who was the average leader in the starting lineup? Average leader. Um, I would say... Was it Manny, too? It was Manny. <laughs> I was going to say, he had he, some ridiculous years. Where he, he had was 308. Like 308, yeah. yeah. One, one, 1,009 OPS. 152 OPS plus. Pretty good year for me. You know, just for kicks and gigs. You know where Manny finished in MVP voting that year? Seventh? Third. Third, okay. He finished behind Vlad, who won the MVP, and somehow Gary Sheffield. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Only by 16 points, which is, you know, Vlad ran away with it, but the fact that Sheffield got four more first-place votes than Manny and Poppy is a f- embarrassment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it is wild. It's an embarrassment. Who was the wins leader that year, Dave? Oh, man, the wins leader. Um, is it Derek Lowe? No, nah, Derek Lowe had 14 wins. He was third behind Pedro and Kurt Schilling, who was 21 and six. What a year! Man, uh, what happened to him ever since? I know. Uh, Pedro had 227 strikeouts, a light year for him. Uh, man, looking at the pitchers that year Mike Myers, Mark Malaska, Lenny Donardo, Pedro, Pedro Astacio was on that team. Oh my God, Abe Alvarez. Yeah, I love Abe Alvarez. Uh, Dave McCarty. Uh, Do you remember how much they were hyping up Abe Alvarez before he came up? Dude, I thought he was going to be the next Pedro. I thought he was Dude, gonna they, be... they were convinced yeah. that he was going like, to set the world on fire, and he's going to throw like a no hitter. Next, Sandy Koufax, Keith Folk, yeah. Mike Timlin, Alan Embry. Oh, Scott Williamson, Kurt Curtis Lascanic. Oh my God, I mean, but like all these names are wild, but also 
these are the guys that broke the curse. Like, I can see why they'd be number one. To me, I'll explain why my number one was my number one. But I can easily see why this would be your top team ever, at least of our lifetime for the Red Sox. Because, you know, we were 12 years old, or I'm sorry, 10, 11 years old when they broke that curse. And it was such a magical time to witness, especially as a kid. You're so, you know, it, it things are so much bigger to you when you're a kid. And, you know, you see your parents and, you know, the people you love and your family that have followed the Red Sox for so long. Seeing in their eyes when this got broken and when they won the World Series, it was incredible. It was awesome. And, you know, we're so spoiled now with four World Series. It's easy to look back and be like, well, it was just another World Series. But it wasn't. It was such an incredible run to come back from 3-0 and make history and then just obliterate the Cardinals who have been a source of a lot of consternation for the Red Sox in the in the postseason up to that point. Like, they never made it easy on the Red Sox. So, it's, it, it was just one of the best seasons I've ever seen. And I mean, it was a toss-up between one and two for me. And ultimately, I lean number two for this, but I could see why you go number one. Dave, why was it your number one? I had said to you before we started this that, it was obvious that number, that 07 had the least sentimental yeah. season or emotional value for most fans because you have 13, you have the Boston Marathon bombing, you have 04, you have the curse ending, and you have 18, which was just like an absolute... I mean, 108 wins it just doesn't happen that often. I think it's probably happened... I know 110 wins only happened like seven times, so do the math from there. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it. this season was special just from, you know, breaking the curse going behind 3-0 and coming back and you have like the constant drama, like Ortiz winning it twice against Rivera or tying it, sorry, twice and then winning it in extra innings. Dave Roberts steals, you know, they sweep the angels in the first round. It made you feel like, all right, we're invincible. Like you beat the MVP. We're just going to go sweep everyone. And then you immediately lose three games. And the third game is 19 to six at home. Like, yeah. You're basically just like mailing in at that point. Like, all right, well, we're looking forward to next year, I guess. And I think like an underplayed aspect is the fact they lost the year before, which obviously everyone knew, but like you had Theo Epstein who was like, kind of like this weird hire where he was like this young guy, wasn't super like well-known in the baseball circles. He was more an analytics guy. He didn't have like the scouting years of experience and like the, the 25 years of he was a you know regional scout, then he was assistant GM and he was farm director. He wasn't Ben Sherrington that worked his way up. It was just different. And uh then you have, you know, they picked off guys off the scrap people like Ortiz in 03 was that was his first year with the Red Sox. Mm. Yeah. And this was like his first like big time year. And it's just like really, really different. Uh and it, it just felt different. This team was didn't really have a lot of stars. Like, you had Pedro and you had Kurt in the rotation. Keith Folk was a good closer. And you had Manny and Ortiz. But that was kind of like it. Everyone else was just like a regular guy. Like, Damon, Gabe Kapler, Euclid at that point, Cabrera. Nomar wasn't there at this point. But Trot, like, wasn't exactly like there was a lot of huge names here doing anything. So Excuse me. <laughs> Nomar was on this team. He, well, I mean, he wasn't at this point. He played 38 games. <laughs> yeah. And then he pouted and was happy. Right. I still remember him giving that interview outside the clubhouse. 
You wait, what? Remember when he gave the interview and he was like, "Well, I'm sure you guys have heard by oh. now. I've been traded." I thought you said when you were at the clubhouse. I'm like, "What were you doing there?" Oh no, no. When he gave the interview, he's like, uh, "Oh, I'm sure you guys heard by now. I've been traded." And he was all happy. It's like, all right, whatever. Please. All right, Dave. Within within before we move on to number the co number one. Within thirty, how many hits did Gabe Kabler have that year? Uh seventy two. He had seventy nine. Oh my god! Look at you. Nailed it. Nice job. <laughs> nice job. Uh, all right. The co number one, Dave. My number one. Your number two. The twenty thirteen World Series champion, Boston Red Sox, 97 and sixty five. Beat the Rays in the ALDS. Beat the Tigers in the ALCS. Beat the Cardinals in the World Series. And to me. I mean, it's easy was number one. I mean, the the marathon bombing and how they just came together, or you know, with the city, the David Ortiz speech, and and just how it it felt destined to be a champion. They knew they had to do it for the city, and it was just such an incredible run to witness. And you know, we were both in college. I still remember watching this at Brandon's, uh, friend of the show, Brandon Maxwell, pretty much our de facto third co-host, um, or rather third host of the podcast, um, at his at his dorm, watching game game six of the World Series, seeing the final strikeout, people going wild on campus. It was an incredible experience. After everything that city had been through, to go out there and really just again make every right move at every turn. A team put together, not really of all the best players, but just the right players. It, it was incredible to witness. You had some really, really out there performances. Like, everything had to break right for this to happen. I mean, you had Mike Carp off the bench hitting 296. You had Daniel Nava 303 and 536 plate appearances. Like, that, that shouldn't happen. He's not that kind of guy. Uh, and then you have Middlebrook, 17 homers. You have Ortiz with 30, obviously. Victorino, 294 with 15 homers. Gold glove defense. Basically sealed the value of his deal right there. That he was worth the $39 million he paid for three years. Yep. Um, but it was it was just totally, totally wild. You have the starters really just not that good either. I mean, dude, your buckles was really, really good, but kind of disappeared with injuries. Only pitched 16 games. But... Dempster was, like, mediocre. Dubois was mediocre. I mean, you'd Lester and Lackey. Lackey was absolutely nails in the playoffs, though. He had that start against Detroit when it was Verlander against Lackey. Yep. And it was 0-0 in, like, the seventh inning, and there was a solo home run for the Red Sox that won it. Won Who, hit it? Who hit it? Who uh, hit it? It was... Napoli? Yes, sir. Nice job. Yes. It was like, and in Detroit, too, it was like dead center, an absolute bomb. And Verlander knew it, I remember, yep. because he like put his he put his glove on his head, I think, and just like, you got to be kidding me. Also, let me just, just as I do every year, or every time we talk about the 2013 Red Sox, let me just bring up Koji Uihara that year. Regular season, at least. Outrageous. 109, first of all, 73 appearances. 21 saves, 74 and a third innings pitched, 109 ERA, 9 walks, 101 strikeouts. Absolutely wild. Totally outrageous. A 379 ERA plus, 
which essentially means he was almost four times better than the average pitcher. A 1.61 FIP, a .565 WHIP, .565, and a strikeout to walk ratio of 11.22. The dude was an animal that year. And he was the ALCS MVP, which winning any postseason MVP as a relief pitcher, very hard to do. Um, he was incredible. He, it was just absolutely incredible. And to think he was their third closing option, it was Joel Hanrahan, Andrew Bailey, and then when both of them got injured, it was Koji filling in. And at 38 years old, he was such an incredible option for them to go to. He was untouchable, absolutely untouchable. The splitter, I believe, was the pitch of his that just nobody could hit. It, it was it was a cheat code. And whenever he went in the ninth inning, it was practically an eight-inning game. Whenever he went in, except for that one playoff game against Tampa Bay, where he gave up that home run. Other than that, you, you could not touch Koji. You couldn't touch him. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of indescribable because you're seeing a guy that throws 87 miles an hour come out and blow his fastball by people. Well, you watch Manny Del Carmen from years before, and even Hanrahan when he was there, and Andrew Bailey, who like only threw 94, but was like, oh, wow, you know, like his fastball is really heavy. And Hanrahan and Bailey had been very good relief pitchers for Oakland and Pittsburgh. Like, it wasn't like they were getting guys that were just taking a shot on, like Jake Diekman or some of these minor league free agents. Like, these were guys that were, were legit closers. It's just, like, totally weird that it happened like that. And, I mean, the fact that you got Brock Holt out of it, too, was, like, was looked at as a throw-in. He was just, like, basically out of options with Pittsburgh. They didn't, they didn't believe, him any, believe in him anymore, and they they suddenly get him. But, yeah. I mean, Koji was, like, I mean, that's an all-time great season when you think about it. It's just... Yeah. And a, a great deadline acquisition in Jake Peavy as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he didn't yeah, have a traded Iglesias for him. stellar ERA, but it was him. It was a three-way trade. One-for-one one three-way trade. Abastiel Garcia, Jose Iglesias, Jake Peavy. Like, and really, all three teams benefited to a degree, but the Red Sox obviously got the best end of that deal because they won a World Series. Um, all right, Dave. So top five teams of our lifetime. We have the 08 Red Sox, the 07 Red Sox, the 18 Red Sox, and then tied for one, the 04 and 13 Red Sox. Are you ready for the doldrums? Let's do it. Well, this should be an easy one to remember. <laughs> because coming in at number 19 on our list, the 2022 Boston Red Sox. Uh, they were number uh, 19 for you and number, or, I'm sorry, that was 19 for you and number 17 for me. So... I think if I had to sum up this year in one word, I tweeted this a few days ago after the year ended, but or last, yesterday, whatever, it feels like a thousand years ago. I would say the word I would use for this season was frustrating. I felt like entering the year, they had potential. I know that they didn't really build on their roster after going to the ALCS, but I felt like they had potential to make a run in the AL East. And, ironically... 
being in the AL East was their biggest pitfall because they were good against the AL Central. They were actually excellent against the AL West, but they could not win to save their lives in the American League East. They were obliterated by, by Toronto. They could barely keep their head above water against Baltimore, and Tampa Bay and New York owned them pretty much the entire year, too. It, it was just such a frustrating season between all of that, the injuries, the underperformance, the fact that, you know, Jerry Remy passed away, which was so dis- so sad and so disheartening, and then Eckersley retiring, too, was just a gut punch. Overall, I know those two aren't members of the team, but overall for the entire season, just so frustrating and so lackluster it, that I'm not surprised it made the bottom five, honestly. Yeah, I mean it. It was just complete disappointment in every in every facet imaginable. I mean, you're looking at it. You have a guy like Devers who starts off the year red hot, has like 23 homers or close to 23 homers at the All Star break, and ends up with 27. And he's hitting like 320, ends up with 292. Now, obviously, this you know he's probably hurt, dealing with some stuff, whatever it is. But there's a disconnect here where guys didn't produce what they were normally producing. Now, it could just be like a happenstance that all did at the same time, but I mean, there's a reason why this team, I mean, they ended up producing runs that would put them in a top five position in offenses, but with offenses in the league, but you look at it, they only have one hitter that really qualified to do anything in the league that hit 300. Like, that doesn't usually happen with the Red Sox. And you look at it even more, and no one had 900 OPS. No one had only one person had an 850 OPS, and only two people were above 800 that played even 100 games. So this this team just like wasn't good consistently. They, you know, you can say all you want about how many runs they scored and oh, we were still really good offensively. I mean, they were ninth in the league at runs scored, but how many of those were one or two games here and there against a bad pitcher where they put up 17 runs and then they went and put up zero and zero and one and four. Like it's, it's just like at a certain point, there needs to be some sort of accountability. And I think it starts with the fact that the home run ball completely disappeared. 155 homers, 20th in the league um, for a team that plays at Fenway park where the wall is 310 feet from home plate. And it's just, it's not really, you don't really know why. Like Bogarts with 15 homers and J.D. Martinez with 16. And let's be honest, three or four of those were in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. He went two months with one or two homers. That's it. Two of them were in the last like three games. Yeah. He had two of the last game, I believe. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Two were in the last game. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, at a certain point, like people can blame Cora and they can blame Heim. There are stuff that they both did that was bad. Like Heim left the bullpen out to dry. First base was a disaster. Right field was a disaster. But like at a certain point, there needs to be some blame on the players here too. Like JD with 16 homers, Bogarts with 15 homers. Only one guy hitting over 300. I mean, only two guys with 800 OPS. It was an it was an all around failure. Yeah. yeah, I mean certainly there's different levels of blame, and certainly the GM takes the most of it because he builds the team. But at a certain point, like we need we need our guys to to produce and to get, you know, 
a 222 out of Kike in 93 games, and you get JD who barely hits 270. I mean, it's just, it's not, you're not going to make up for that kind of stuff. Uh, I got to say, one of the most surprising stats this year was that JD led the American League in doubles, which I know you play at Fenway Park. That's expected, but I'm still surprised by that. It's it's because, like, his power was almost completely zapped. So yeah. it's like everything was a wall ball. It was a gap shot. Like, right. nothing was to the fence. It was just... So we have a precipitous drop-off from number 19, number 20, uh, the 2022 season, which had 12 points, to number 20, which had 7 points. It was number 20 for you, number 21 for me, the 2015 Boston Red Sox. Oh boy, what a year this was. 78 and 84, which I believe is the same record they had this year, honestly. Um, Dave, who was the home run leader that year for the Red Sox? Um, the home run leader was... Hamling? Uh, no, it would be David Ortiz. He had 37 home runs. <laughs> I Han- thought it was a trick question. Hanley was second with 19... <laughs> Which I feel like was part of the problem. Uh, you know what yeah. else? What also might have been part of the problem? Uh, David Ortiz had a nine thirteen OPS. Mookie Betts was second with eight twenty, and no one else had an OPS over eight hundred that year. Yeah. So that's part and of the problem. Also, played ninety three games. Pedroia only played ninety three games. Didn't play. Bogarts was still twenty two years old, so you can't expect much from him. And then your fifth guy was Brock Holt, which I love Brock Holt, but he should not be your fifth offensive option. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then of course the opportunity ads playing in the background, which is great. Um, who was the wins leader that year, Dave, without looking? Without looking, I would say it was Rick. No, he had nine wins and 15 losses. Jesus. Uh, the wins leader that year was Wade Miley. <laughs> Jesus. He was 11 and 11. <laughs> that's was it this year horrendous. was it this year or the year we're going to talk about in a minute that he fought with john farrell in the dugout i think it was this year i think it was this year it? too i think it was this year um not as great a year for koji two two three ra is not that bad either 25 say it's not terrible but when it comes down to it, the pitching was significantly worse this year. The hitting was way down, and you, you just didn't have enough to compete in the American League East. They were last that year. I mean, just like they are this year. Um, not good. Not good at all. That was, you know, they hired Dombrowski during the season. Uh, I believe they fired Charrington, so. Well, <laughs> yeah. They. They did the logical thing. They hired Dave Dombrowski and said, Charrington, you can stay on, but you're going to get demoted. Right, exactly. So not, I guess not fired, but you get the idea. You know, demoted. They did the thing with the, which the Red Sox ownership loves to do, which is try to parlay the blame to someone else. Right. And uh, Mike Hazen, is he in Arizona now? He's the GM for the Diamondbacks. That's what I thought. Yeah, so he was promoted to, or named senior VP GM, and then Dombrowski was president of baseball operations that year, so... And then Farrell stick, stuck on for a couple more years after this, but um, he would eventually uh, get fired in, in favor of uh, Alex Cora. But the 15 Red Sox, I think the theme of the next two teams, at least three teams, I mean, maybe, maybe the last two teams are different, 
But for this team and the next team, the theme is just forgettable. Just completely forgettable and lackluster and depressing. And I'm just nonplussed by these teams. Like, I look at them and just, like, they existed. They they ran the course the entire year. Just, like, bleh. It was just, like, a lot of guys that played. Yeah. Like, when you look, if, if someone if someone's listening and you go to their baseball reference page, like there's only only four guys that five or five guys that got hundred five hundred plate appearances. That's not that many. It's not good. I mean, you have you have Swire eighty four games, Napoli ninety eight, Pedroia ninety three, Hanley one hundred five, Sandoval one twenty six. He's one of the guys that got five hundred plate appearances. Believe it or not. <laughs> and you have Rosny, and you have Jackie Bradley, and you have Travis Shaw, and Ryan Hannigan, and Diaza, and Leon, and you just like have all these guys. And I think, like, another storyline, too, with 2015, it's just two years after Nava hit 303, and he's at 185. So suddenly the magic kind of wore off in the next two years, which led to the very, very quick, like, uh, escape hatch that the GM built on Daniel Nava and released him. But uh, I don't know. I... I think this team was incredibly forgettable, and all we did was see guys that underproduced or didn't play enough games and just completely went in the toilet, to be honest. Well, speaking of going in the toilet, Dave, (laughs) Uh, number 21, with five points, they were number 21 for you, number 22 for me. 2014 Boston Red Sox. Uh, they were 71 and 91, last in the American League East. Dave, who was the home run leader that year for the Red Sox? Home run leader that year. Actually, was... no, I'm just gonna stop you right there. It was David Ortiz. I was gonna say it's David Ortiz. So David Ortiz had 35 home runs and 104 RBIs. Who was second in home runs that year? That's more um... fun. Gomes or Napoli? It was Napoli. 17 home runs, 55 RBIs, both of which were second on the team. (laughs) Yikes. The 2014 Boston Red Sox uh, could not score runs, to put it lightly. Let let me, Dave, let me give you the top 10 home run hitters on the Red Sox that year. (laughs) 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 Hold on, let me catch my breath here. David Ortiz, number one. Mike Napoli, number two. 21-year-old Xander Bogarts hit 12 home runs that year to be number three. Tied for fourth, Dustin Pedroia and David Ross, <laughs> who both hit seven. Six was Johnny Gomes with six. Both hitting five that year, Mookie Betts and Yoannis Cespedes. <laughs> And then tied for ninth with four home runs. I really hope you're sitting down. Stephen Drew, Brock Holt, Daniel Nava, and I swear to God this is true, A.J. Pierzynski. <laughs> Good God. I mean, do we even need to say more than that? Do we need to even go further than this? I think, I think it says all you need to say. Although one last question. The wins leader that year. 
The wins leader was. I'll give you a hint. It was not Burke Badenhop who won zero games that year. It had to have been either Lester or Lackey. It was Lackey. It was Lackey and then Lester. 11 wins, 10 wins. Uh, also, shout out Brandon Workman, who went 1 in 10 this year. <laughs> With a Jesus. 517 ERA. That is. Uh, oh my God. That's so That bad. is astonishing. Uh, also, shout out Rubby De La Rosa, 4 and 8 that year. <laughs> oh, did alan God. webster pitch this year i'd rather you not say that name ever again um but he was he did he was five and three five oh three era so not good you remember how much they hyped him up man you should see this guy's sinker yeah i uh i don't remember that because i watched him pitch and it was uh dreadful because he was dreadful and yeah um you should see the guy's sinker alan webster if you're listening come on the podcast <laughs> Yeah, if you're listening, we'll tell you how bad you are. We we will come on and we'll ask you what happened in that start that I saw you pitch against Hisashi Iwakuma at Fenway Park that I had the misfortune of attending. But anyway, I'm I know he's a much better athlete than I'll ever be, but still. Uh, all right, Dave, the second worst team of our lifetime, with five points, it was dead last on your list and twentieth on my list. The 2020 Boston Red Sox, 24 and 36, dead last in the American League East. Dave, who was the home run leader on this team? Uh, was it JD? Uh, no, it was not. It was actually a tie between Bogarts and Devers. They both hit 11 home runs that year. Mm. So here's, I feel like, wherein lies the problem. Uh, Bogarts had the top OPS on the team that year at 867. Not great. <laughs> um, that's a fine OPS. That's not terrible. Uh, Rudugo was second. Um, just, I mean, we knew going into this season they weren't going to try to compete. And it was obvious from what they put on the field. Which, let me just follow up here with you, Dave. Um, you know, just for, for kicks and giggles, uh... Who was the wins leader on this team? It had to be Big Nate. It was. He had four wins that year. Oof. Do you know who was second? Uh, There's two options here. I have no idea. Uh, Martin Perez. I hate that guy. And uh, Tanner Houck, who I didn't even know pitched this season, to be honest with you. Um, But it was in relief. He had a 9.20 ERA plus. <laughs> which i mean obviously a very small sample size um shout out josh osick who also pitched that year oh my dude some of the names of guys that pitched this season <laughs> uh oh my god dude josh i mean josh taylor was all right in 2021 so i won't i'll give him a pass uh oh your guy marcus walden <laughs> i'm kidding when i say that uh mike Kickham, god trash dude colton brewer Jeffrey Springs. I know he's good now, but then he was not good. Ugh, man. Just, I mean, what, what do you even say about this? Just, It was just tough to watch. We knew they weren't going to compete. They knew they weren't going to compete. It was a shortened season. Just forget about it, honestly. Yeah, it was a complete disaster, to be honest. It was, I mean, 
they like legitimately just didn't even care if they were competitive. It was really sad. I don't want to give them any more of my breath. Well, Dave, that leaves us at the worst Red Sox team of our lifetime, which, if you're following along, should be obvious by now. The 2012 Boston Red Sox. 69 wins, 93 losses. Last in the American League East. Dave, who was the home run leader that year? <laughs> I, I can't guess. I already looked it up from before oh, the show. Damn you. It was Jared Salfalamakia, who had 25 home runs and 59 RBIs. <laughs> well, who was the RBI leader that year? Um, the RBI leader was... Was it Cody Ross? No, he was second. It was Adrian Gonzalez. 86 RBIs that year. That guy was hyped up to no end. <sighs> Tell me about it. Um, I remember mean, when they kept saying like he was going to hit 55 homers because of the wall? Yeah. yeah they were man. like, oh, he's got easy 50 homers, the way his swing is. I was like, all right, how about I'll settle for 20? Well, we never really got much out of that. But, Dave, what stands out to you from this season? As well, Let's say something good about this season. Let's see. What was something good? Um, let's see. Well, they kind of like tossed Euclid overboard, which is kind of dumb. <laughs> <clears throat> wasn't wasn't really a very good player at that point, but like they kind of treated him like garbage. They sure did. Um, I forgot this was the Mauro Gomez year where they called him up, and he was like a thirty year old in AAA hitting like three twenty, just like completely outrageous. Um. And I forgot that this was the year they made Franklin Morales a starter. Ugh. And everyone thought, like, we had this, like, cheat code. Like, all we, of a sudden, the guy was like, wow, this guy's a, this guy's a starter. Wow. We, we, did not, um, we did not have a cheat yeah, code. Yeah, no, we didn't. And Daniel Bard collapsed this year, I forgot, when they moved him to a starter. Uh, Tazawa, they ran into the ground like everyone else yep. they had. Matt, Matt Albers, 2.290 ERA. Wow. That's... That's definitely not what I expected. One of the most wild um, stat differences. I was going to say. FIP 5.3. <laughs> That's crazy. That's an outrageous difference for 40 innings. That's a ridiculous difference. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. That's wild. Um, but look, Alfredo Aceves, shout out, 2-10 that year. Dude just absorbed remember- losses. Do you remember the the year the um the hearing about the meeting where he went to Bobby Valentine's office when they when they told him he was gonna get demoted from closer and uh he ripped his jersey off and then shattered the window on his way out. Do it was an absolute that. gem of a story. Absolute gem. It's classic. And um, another another one too here. Daniel Bard was is one of the few people I've seen start at least 10 games and and walk more people per nine innings than he struck out 6.5 to 5.8. Sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. It's, I mean, this team was like, oh, this was the, this was the rebirth of Rich Hill too. Mm. They signed him at the end of the year and he made like two starts or three starts. And then he got a few deals after that. And obviously he's still pitching, but mm-hmm. this was, this was wild. I forgot about this. Uh, so Dave, and then they got, here, here's and then a f- they had, uh, 
the Chris Carpenter, the guy that the reliever they got for Theo. Oh, that's right. Uh, so Dave, fun fact: uh, Fredo Aceves is only one of five pitchers since this century to have twenty-five saves and ten losses in the same season. He joins Jose Jimenez of the Rockies in two thousand two, Brad Boxberger of the Rays in twenty fifteen. Is one of them Alex Kalme? No, it's not. Uh, in 2019, Rysel Iglesias lost 12 games for the Reds and had 34 saves. And I'll give you, and here's a, tri- uh, we'll go trivia question for you. There was a closer that did it this year. 30 saves, 11 losses. Do you know who it was? 30 saves, 11 losses. There weren't a ton of 30 save guys this year. I think there were only like six. American League is your hint. American League. American League would have would have to be like a somewhat good team. Wait, was it uh, Liam Hendricks? No. Was it uh... it's not the Astros, not the Yankees. Is it um, is it Rodriguez from the Tigers? Close. It's Gregory Soto from the Tigers. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, thirty saves went two and eleven this year. He was decent for them too. He was. He really. I'm surprised he can get traded, honestly. Um, but yeah, Gregory Soto and Brad Boxberger, the first closer since Todd Worrell of the Cardinals in 1986 to lead the league in saves with at least uh at least 25 and post 10 losses or more in the same season the more you know uh stathead sponsor us (laughs) uh anyway dave before we sign off a quick reminder the top five red sox teams of our lifetime the 20 2008 boston red sox number five the 2007 boston red sox number four 2018 Boston Red Sox number three and tied for number one, the 2004 and 2013 Boston Red Sox, and the five worst Red Sox teams of our lifetime, the 2022 Boston Red Sox number 19, the 2015 Boston Red Sox 20, the 2014 team at 21, the 2020 team at 22, and in last place with three points, the lowest, second lowest for me, I'm sorry, second lowest for you, and the lowest ranked for me, the 2012 boston red sox and before we close out dave one last question to you if there's one guy you could see them sign that does not currently play for the red sox this offseason who would you want them to sign sky's the limit who is the one you'd want to bring in um it's a good question uh i would say preferably a pitcher so if sky's the limit, money is no option. I mean, I guess what is the obvious answer, Judge? Right, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would also opt for pitching. I, I mean, a sneaky one is Nolan Arenado would be a sneaky kind of one, but he plays is he third. An, like, is he, he an opt out guy or a free agent, straight up? He's a player option guy, so he's going to opt out for. Of course game. he is. I mean, of course he is. Yeah, I mean, he's he had a really good year. He was like yeah. three hundred with thirty home runs. He was like a legit MVP option for a while. Yeah, for I mean him and Goldschmidt for the corners. I mean two guys they traded for too. 
Um, which, I mean, more teams should be like the Cardinals, where you identify key guys, you keep them, and then you ship out the other ones. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. Right. Um, but, let's see. I mean, some really big names, obviously Dick Rom, Verlander, Judge, Turner, Rodon, Rodon Kershaw, Arenado, Rizzo, Swanson, Bassett, Conforto. Conforto didn't even play this year. I know, right? It's crazy. It took the year off. Oh, my God. Edwin Diaz is a free agent. I would be interested. Jesus. For Talk right, about hitting it time. For the right price. We could, we could be talking about two of the all-time great before free agent seasons with Edwin Diaz and Aaron Judge. And Aaron Otto at the same time. And Verlander, too. Verlander. DeGrom. Lowest ERA since Pedro. Yeah. It's true. If you had to pick between Judge and say Chris Bassett or Jacob DeGrom and Trey Mancini, who you pick as in like pairs. Like I'd get two of them. Yeah. You get both of them for each one. The combos. I'd rather, I'd rather do, um, so money is no object. Yeah. Money is no object. Judge and Bassett all day long. Really over DeGrom. Oh yeah. I mean, cause, um, Shout out Ed Hand. I follow him on Twitter. Sox prospect guy. Uh, makes a good point about Bassett. He's the more reliable, like, consistent. 34 years old, though. What was it? 30, I know he's 34, he's 34 years old. I know that. But, like, he can at least stay on the field. And DeGrom isn't that much younger than him. DeGrom's, what, like 32? He's actually the same age. So they're the same age. And I know, obviously, DeGrom has had way better stuff than Bassett does. But Bassett can actually stay on the mound. And that has to factor into it, his durability. And... I mean, I love Trey Mancini, don't get me wrong, but Judge gives you way more upside offensively, so I would rather go Bassett and Judge. What about you? I I would probably do the same thing. You know, I'm not super high about DeGrom with his durability issues. That's true. Um, we, we've discussed this already. We have. Do you, do you uh, think Verlander ends up back with the Astros? I do. Because I, I just think when you're at 39 or 40, you're probably in a position where you want to win. And it's not like they're going to – I don't imagine they're going to cheap out. Like, I think they'll offer him a fair deal, whether it's top of the market. I don't know. Probably not. Because right. Houston doesn't really spend money like that. Well, but they're going to have to at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's up to them if they want to, like, you know, if he wants to go anywhere. Like, he could get top dollar. He can go anywhere he wants and make $40 million a year like Scherzer. But it's up to him as, like, what he values more. Like, does he value stability with Houston where you're going to win for at least two more years? Or does he want to go somewhere else and be like, all right, I want to take my $40 million. Either way, I think is is reasonable. I'm, I'm not going to say anything either way. I think both are good options. But, um, I mean, this is a really good free agent class, too. Like, like I mean, they, they like the Astros, for example, only have Bregman for two more years, and he, his salary goes up to $28.5 million next year. Like, and they already locked in Yordan uh, and yeah. uh, Altuve. Exactly. So, you know. Are you going to keep extend Bregman? I'm sure after next year he's going to want to talk about an extension. And he's still relatively young. He's, you know, he's going to be 30 after I mean, he's going into his age 29 season. So To me, there's to me there's no way they keep Bregman. Yeah, I, you're probably right. He's probably going to go cash I, in. He'll do the Correa. I, He'll go to Minnesota for a year. I also don't think he's worth the money. I think they signed the two right guys. I think you're right. I mean, Jordan especially. Like, I think Jordan's a legit superstar. Like, Jordan is going to be great for a long time, and they got him for a good deal. And, like, for both of them. 
this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think you'll agree with me. I think Jose Altuve right now, to me, is no doubt a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall oh, of Famer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is, yeah, like absolutely. He, he might be the next guy to reach 3,000 hits. Yeah, I mean, and I think the one thing that's kind of enhances his campaign for when he retires is the home runs. Yeah. The extra base sets have gone way up. Especially in the postseason. So, He's a postseason monster. Yeah, like, it's, there's not as much pressure right now for him to hit 320 with 3,000 hits. Like, if you can add 200 homers to that, or 250, yeah. all of a sudden you're talking about, all right, suddenly you don't need, you know, 3,500 hits and 300, 320 batting average. You could have 300 with 3,000 hits. Right, right. But that does it for our, uh, our episode tonight. Next week we will have an NBA preview. Uh, hopefully we can get Brandon Maxwell on for that. We'll talk to his agent. We'll see. You never know. Maybe he has conflicts. We'll never. We'll see. But uh, we'll talk to his agent. We'll see if he's around. We'll have our people call his people, um, and we'll see. But uh, very exciting to see how the NBA season plays out. Very excited to do a little preview of it. But until then, uh, at CSL Podcast on Twitter, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>